0: Well, uh, today is the first day, this, is, this begins the school year for many people, those of you that don't know, the school year starts this week. And so I when, I, when our kids were young, I thought, boy, the beginning of the school year is more like the beginning of the year. I mean, I was, so start it an, a year all over again, start a year anew, why not start our lives anew? I was hoping we could talk today about, this could be the first day of the rest of your life the passage we're going to look at today is is written for just such a topic. We're going to look at Judges chapter 13 through 16. It's in your older testament. You can go there and I would actually we're going to survey it today. You could read. I'll point out some things to look for in the details because it is not just the story of a man named Samson. It is a master's class in storytelling. When you see the details and what the author's up to so that we can learn from this man Samson, it's beautiful. It's and Samson is not, it's not just a biography of Samson, and not just well told, Samson is iconic for all mankind. Like, scholars abound to declare that Samson is, is representing Israel, and, and all of mankind. John, the famous John Milton said this about Samson, he says, Samson is, oh, mirror of our fickle state. It is. And the story begins, like, it's very bad in Israel. How bad is it? It's so bad that it begins with that classic intervention by God in such a way that he makes himself known, obviously. He comes into the sludge and the slime of our own decision-making and where it's gotten us and says, I'll take it from here. And what does that look like? It's when he comes in and and he and has the angel of the Lord come to a woman who is barren and announce that she's soon to have a miraculous conception and, and pregnancy. That's, it's, it's, it's Yahweh saying, I've had enough. I'm coming in there, I'm going to fix it in a way so that everyone knows my hand is on this. Look what it says in chapter 13, how the whole story starts, verse 1. And the people of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And then the angel of the Lord appears to a woman and he says to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now this is the the important characteristic of this son. Now therefore, be careful. And, and, and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall be upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Shall be a Nazarite unto the womb. Nazarite unto God. What does that mean? The word Nazarite in Hebrew means to separate, to consecrate, to abstain. Now we know what, that, what the Nazarite is, and typically it's a vow that uh, happens in a person's life where they just say, I'm making a Nazarite vow for six weeks. And it's a vow to holiness. And we know the details of that vow when you go back farther in the older testament to numbers chapter six where moses says this is a Nazarite vow when any man or any woman wants to consecrate themselves to make themselves holy for a period of time i want you to be separate from these three things to show that you are separating yourself to god for holiness three things the first one is to abstain from anything and all things grape Do not drink from the wine or strong drink. Don't drink vinegar that's made from wine or strong drink. Don't even eat grapes. You can't have grape juice. You can't have grapes. You can't even have raisins because it's showing that you're separate. Look what it says in number 6, verse 4. It says, all the days of your separation, he shall eat nothing that comes from the produce of the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. It's just to show you're separate. The second thing you're to abstain from is death. And because death is unclean, but it, it says all the days of your vow so that you're showing your, a symbol of separation all the days of a Nazarite because God is holy. It says, father, your mother, your sister, your brother, you can't be in the room, you can't be near anything death because dead because that, is, your, that separation is a sign of holiness. Nothing from the grape." Nothing dead, and then there's this symbol of not cutting your hair as a symbol of this consecration. It says uh it's explained in five and six here. All the days of the vow of separation, no razor shall touch your head. Until the time is completed for which you separate himself to Yahweh, he shall be holy, and he shall let his locks of his head grow long. And then later in that passage that idea is called the hair of the consecration so here's the idea here is is that Samson this child that's going to be born is going to have this Nazarite vow not for six weeks or a month but for his entire life and when they we see this story begin with uh, a miraculous birth right and then this Nazarite from birth we're looking at something that's a that reminds us of the story of Abraham's miraculous child, Isaac. And then later we'll see for Saul, we'll see that Samuel is born in the same context of a barren woman that has this miraculous child. And, And this is God saying in a billboard way, I'm stepping in here, I work sovereignly, quietly often, but now I'm coming in in a billboard kind of way and saying, I'm doing this. This Samson Nazarite from the womb. He's going to separate himself to be holy because I have a great purpose for him, and he's going to lead Israel away from the servitude of the Philistines. Samson's name means little son, S-U-N. Like, there's hope, there's bright, we can see the light of day again. This Samson, this is going to be great. And you should just read about the, the exhibitions of great power that Samson had. I mean it's one chapter after another of the spirit of God coming upon Samson and he's doing these marvelous things. In chapter 14, he's he's walking down this path and this lion comes out and roars and comes and pounces him and then it says the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he tore that lion to pieces as one tears a young goat. I don't know how to tear a young goat. Do you know I don't know. Do you know how to tear a young goat? But he tore a lion, like you tear a young goat. It's amazing. The next chapter, uh, he finds himself trapped by an entire army of the Philistines. And he looks around, it says, and the spirit of the Lord comes upon him in a mighty way. He grabs a jawbone of a donkey and slaughters a thousand men. Writes a little song, a little poem about it. He says, with a donkey of a jawbone, I have uh, made a donkey out of them. With a donkey of, of a jaw, of, of, with the, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. They name the place where he killed those men? The hill of the, of the jawbone. Yeah, <laughs> he's powerful. The very next chapter, so now we're at 16. He finds himself trapped inside the gates of the fortified capital city of the Philistines called Gaza. And so he's in there, and he's asleep, and the men of Gaza realize that we have him. Like, lock the front gates, right? The fortified cities is only as strong as the gates. So these are huge gates. They lock him inside. They say, look, you know, at daybreak, we're going to kill him. So they all go back to bed waiting for the sun to come up, and in the middle of the night, Samson wakes up, realizes that they locked the gates on him, and says, you know what? I got this. So there's an inventory of all that Samson does just to show off his power. He pulls up the gates of the city and just stacks them up. Even then he grabs the poles that they're hanging on, stacks them up. And then, of course, the crossbeam too, grabs these five things, gets underneath them, puts them on his shoulders, and then carries them uphill 38 miles. We could have just kicked the door in, right? And why do you do that? Because Samson's trying to make a point here. Because it's going to take the Gazites at least three days one day up, one day to load stuff, and one day back. They're going to take four, maybe five ox carts as they load the gates, load the cross beam, load the two posts. The whole time everybody's thinking the same thing. No one's talking out loud. Don't mess with Samson. I mean, who was the guy who said, oh, we got him trapped, lock the gates. How about we leave him alone? So the point is, this man is supernaturally strong when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He's quite witty and clever. And he's full of potential. But before we, like, chisel a statue and put it in the middle of the town square or get us some T-shirts where we got Samson flexing for us, that's not what the author wants us to know about his character. This, this whole idea, he's full of potential. If you look it up, uh, potential is Latin for uh, used Kleenex. It's not, it's not good for anything. Potential is nothing. The author wants us to know that he has all this power outside, but he has no self-control. No power on the inside. As a matter of fact, every story of his supernatural power to get out of this trouble was because He couldn't control his passions that got him into the trouble. This is how you know what the author wants you to know about Samson. He's using this classic storytelling rule, and that is when you introduce a character, you're introducing who he is, essentially, in his soul. And so we need to listen to the first words that come out of his mouth, the the first uh, conversation that he has, the first scene that he's in. And that takes place, our little son is introduced in chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Let me read that. This is what the author says is the nature of this man. Now, Samson went down to Timnah, and Timnah, he saw a woman from the daughters of the Philistines. And when he came up and he told his father and his mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines in Timnah, and now I wanted her to be my wife. So the father and the mother said to him, is there no woman amongst the daughters of your own tribe? Is there no one in all of Israel that you'd be interested in? Surely you could find a wife outside of one of these uncircumcised Philistines, right? He's making a point. Pu- and here are the words. But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's right for my eyes. She looked good to me. <laughs> well, well, son, tell me about this girl. Like, how did you guys meet? What does she enjoy? What are her hopes? Has she met? Does she know about Yahweh? Huh? She looked good to me. Get her for me. (laughs) Samson's famous demise is because he has two voids within his soul that will destroy him. He has two vacancies that will will lead to him being killed. And again, these two lackings have been the cause of death for hundreds of millions of people over tens of thousands of years. He, these are not unique to him. These voids, if they show up, there's bills to pay. And so the author says, look, like, p- play cl- close attention to these because this isn't just a history lesson. This is a warning to every man, woman, and child. These things you must have. The first thing is this, to know thy God. Know thy God. Samson was to be a Nazarite holy, dedicated to the Lord from the womb. And that that talks about God's holiness. God is holy, Samson is holy. And holiness means to set apart yourself from the mire of the world and set and then set yourself separate to Yahweh for his purpose. And when God says he's holy and you be holy, he's not not joking. God says, be holy as I am holy. Both Testaments command this. And it's because God says, look, I am holy and you're in my image. You will be who you were meant to be when you are holy. And if you choose not to be, you'll destroy your own life. And that's what happens in Samson's. The real story of Samson, okay, the way it's told here, it's just this rapid-fire renouncement of of each of each, each of the commitments of consecration. I mean, it's chapter after chapter of him dropping his distinctives to make him separate from the world, like he's embarrassed to have them instead of being honored to be chosen by God. And so when you look at it, it's like it says avoid all things death because God is life. And if you read the story about when he tears that lion in half, Samson comes back later on and and there's just this rotting carcass of a lion, but bees have made a hive out of it and there's honey flowing everywhere. And so Samson goes into the dead carcass and just grabs a bowl of honey and walks home eating that because it looked good to him. And then when he gets home, it says he brings his parents into it without them knowing. says, hey, you want some of this, honey? It's really good. He has no respect for, for his vows. He's supposed to have an anaphylactic, allergic reaction to every single thing grape. That means he's supposed to set himself apart from the simplistic joys of the world because God is his joy. And again, you read the stories and you can see that his you know, his wedding celebration to his Philistine wife begins with a seven-day feast with his Philistine groomsmen. And a feast in Hebrew means a time of drinking. Second vow, dropped like an insignificant hot rock. His ultimate demise to uh, Delilah, that I think we know that story, like Samson and Delilah. But where did this cute couple meet? How do they run into each other? Look what it says in chapter 16. Now, after it came about that he he, he had loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The Valley of Sorek is known for its, its, like its subtitle in the Chamber of Commerce is the home of choice red grapes. So here's a guy that's not supposed to have grape jelly on a single bagel, and he's in the capital of wine country. Know thy God. And thy God is holy. And we're to be holy. And And Samson is an archetype for us. Like, So, do you know God? The God that's in the Bible. Do you define God, or does God define you? Who chooses what is right and real and true? Do we... Do we just look at the passages that we enjoy or the passages that make us uncomfortable and then we have to choose, like, are we going to change our lives or do we negotiate and debate and rationalize and say, yeah, it was, you know. It, uh, do we do what we must do? And this is no easy thing, but do we do what we must do to hear the quiet whisper of God's Spirit in our souls or is it a nagging gnat that just gets shoot away so we can get on with what we were going to do anyway. Samson would tell you he had an know, 80% commitment to his Nazarite vow. It's like saying an 80% commitment to your marriage vow. Ask your mate what they think of that. Know what holiness is about God. It is separate from the world to him for a purpose to, to be his instrument of his glory. And yet Samson is constantly separating himself from God right? so he can separate himself to the world. And Samson, find, we find this storyline, is he's just, it's just a script of a failed life. It's a script of a person that failed to know God. That's one of the voids that he had in his soul. The second absence that he has that we need to take to heart is, he did not know thyself. You have to know, th- you have to know who you are, th- know thyself. In a single sentence, Samson can be defined as a person who chose to allow his passions to rule his life. Samson chose, he's not a victim, to allow the passions of his life to rule his life. His story is, is just, he's pursuing women that he's not even supposed to know exists. And then on the other hand, he's having these raging, angry vengeance sprees. And the way it's written is he, he, it's, it's pursuit of lust and a pursuit of revenge. And then there's another pursuit of lust and another pursuit of anger. There's another pursuit of lust and a final pursuit of anger and rage. And each and every supernatural event that we read about here that we were impressed with, it's because he got trapped by his own lustful passions. And God in his mercy said, I'll use that to kill the Philistines off, I guess. Proverbs 16 states it very clearly. Whoever is slow to anger, ooh, patient. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his passions is stronger than he who can take a city. Samson is strong as a war horse, but he's unbridled and just brings destruction to everything he touches. He has no power over his passion. He can tear a lion in half like in midair, but you send a 90-pound female into, into the ring with him and he taps first round. Goes down every time. So just like understand this, that this Samson who's like, the little son is supposed to bring hope and bring us life and bring us brightness. His story is, is just a series of repeat offenses. His, his, you know, the gate story in Gaza where he, you know, took the gates up and Gaza is a fortified capital city of the Philistines. Why was he even there? Because he was visiting a prostitute. Oh! Okay. And then the, the author writes it in such a way, he flees Gaza to run into the arms of Delilah uh, and falls in love with her. Delilah's name means the weak one. <laughs> the weak one against the strong one. Who In what way? And... If you, uh, she's offered like a lifetime of income to entice him to find out what his secret to the, his strength is, can you imagine that interaction? Hey, Samson, what's what's a Nazarite like you doing in a place like this? Do you visit Napa Valley often? Why is he even there? John uh, fourteen. Uh, Judges 14 verse 5 explains the whole, what, what's happening here. And the lords of the Philistines came to Delilah and said to her, seduce him. Entice him is a better word. Entice him to see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him. That we may bind him. That we may humble him. Now who's going to write a poem and a song? And so she goes to him and entices him. Tell me your story. And she's not subtle. How can you be like any other man? And he lies to her and it doesn't work. And then, how can you be like any other man a second time? He lies to her, and it doesn't work a second time. And then he lies to, She asks again, how can you be like any other man? He lies, and it doesn't work a third time. And listen, if you're thinking when you read this, you're supposed to be going, this, this sounds like a rerun from chapter 14 where his Philistine wife entices a secret out of him. There's no creativity in this story. And then, and then now right here, it looks like the record is skipping because she asked the exact same question three times in a row. And so as readers, we're supposed to be looking at this and we're supposed to be yelling at the script, at the, at the main characters, yelling like, Samson, do you see what's going on here? This isn't the first time. Have you learned nothing from your previous failures? I mean, she keeps asking you the same question again and again. You just need to get out of there. I mean a blind man could see what is happening and where this ends how how does that happen how come he can't see what's plain before our eyes sin makes you crazy did you know that if you practice sin you'll go insane look what when you have a When you have a temptation, the first time you go up against that, it's the easiest that temptation's going to be. If you say no to it, the next time, it'll be easier still. You say yes to it, the next time gets harder, and the time after that gets harder. Next thing you know, you're getting pretty good at practicing sin. And then, next thing you know, you're making sense out of senselessness. Because you have to justify, like, how you got there. And next thing you know, you're trapped inside of your own passions. I mean, look, Sting said it, the last verse of that song, and then I'll be wrapped around your finger. Jimmy Buffett <laughs> in Margaritaville, the class, like his, what he's famous for, it's about his, his alcoholism and his drunkenness, and he works his way through, and the last verse says, you know, now I know it's my own darn fault. Yeah, it always has been. <laughs> Could I quote another source of authority? Hebrews puts it this way. <laughs> but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin makes you crazy because it hardens your heart. you got to keep going back. you got to justify it somehow. It's like, well, next time, the next time, it's going to be different. Or... Uh, my mate had it coming to me. Or uh, no one got hurt. Uh, I'm different. This, one do, this law, this rule doesn't apply to me. It'll make it crazy. And that's what's happening. That's why Samson here is obviously in ruin. He's, he's laying in the lap of the weak one, and he's in a death spiral. And almost anyone can see it, but Samson can't, because sin will make you crazy. Let's read it, what happens next. And then she, this is Delilah, says, How can can you say to me I love you when you won't share your entire heart with me? You've deceived me these three times and, and have not told me the secret to your great strength. And then it says, And it came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death could have left any time. So he told her all that was on his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I'm shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak like any other man. If you remember in Numbers chapter 6 when we talked about the hair, it's called the hair of the consecration. And this is the last remnant of who Samson was supposed to be. And Samson right now is in the last choice of his life. He's got to choose. Are you going to be separate to God and be holy? Or are you going to separate yourself to this Philistine man-eater? And snip, snip, snip. And he's a Nazarite no more. He got his wish. Your wish comes true. You want to be like all the other men? You want to be a Philistine? Then thy will be done, Samson. And there he lays. And see, the application here is to know thyself. Know thyself. You, 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 you have to understand the power of the words entice. What's the word? Entice. Seduce him. It means to find an opening, to, to seek a vulnerability, to to know your heel, Achilles. You've got to understand because the Philistines know your weakness. If you don't, it doesn't matter. They do. The enemy knows our weakness, do you? Philistines went three for three brawn to brawn punch for punch for samson didn't work for them they lost 30 men they lost a thousand men they're still trying to repair the gates they realized you know what let's just send in a cute little thing to entice him and they unraveled him every time (laughs) this whole story came i hate when passages come to life the same week so this week on tuesday it was a great day great day first week back first day back and this email goes out to all the staff. Uh, Austin Disaster Relief Network wanted to show their appreciation to us. We've been uh, serving them, like volunteering and donating to them for, boy, forever. And they say sent us six to ten boxes of Tiff's treats. I mean, fresh out of the oven. You could smell it down the street. And so, you know, just to thank us. And so they were chocolate chips and uh, snickerdoodles. Is that how you say that? And then oatmeal raisin cookies. I mean, who even likes oatmeal raisin cookies? This guy. I like him a lot. So anyway, I got over there in time. There was still plenty left of everything. And uh, it got me an oatmeal raisin on the way in. And then on the way out, I was able to finish and have a second one on my way to lunch. Went to a ton of meetings. And then 4.30, I'm done. I go downstairs to the workroom, the kitchen. And the boxes are mostly empty. There's not a chocolate chip to be found. I mean, they're all gone. Two Snickerdoodles. And almost every single oatmeal raisin cookie, <laughs> I thought, well, the people have spoken, you know. And so, you know, I think God wants me to take these home. So, I, like all the boxes, all they have is oatmeal raisins. So I, I put them all in one box together. And it's like it's a full box of oatmeal raisin cookies. And I'm thinking, I cannot take this box out of the office. I mean, it's too big. People are going to see me. And so I went and got a Ziploc bag. True story, I went and got a Ziploc bag. It's easier to hide and put all the cookies in there. And I thought, really? You're going to take every single oatmeal raisin cookie? So I took two of them out and I zipped it up. And I did not get out the, the, the threshold of that kitchen. And I went back for the other two. I ate them fast just because it was embarrassing. Went home. I came in through the garage, so I left them in the laundry room because kind of, it's kind of hot. We don't air condition that, and so it kept them warm. <laughs> Didn't have dinner that night, but I can't tell you how many times I look for a reason to go in that laundry room. I mean, at some point, Melinda was like, what are you doing in there? I'm not doing laundry, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it got so sad that finally when I got down to three, I thought, dude, just call it, okay? Whatever they say you do. And they like milk. And so I I finally went outside the kitchen table, sat down with a glass of milk, and did what I was told. There's a point, I think, to this. One man's chocolate chip cookie is another man's oatmeal raisin cookie. Do you know what your oatmeal raisin cookie is? Do you know where your heel is, Achilles? The Philistines do. Peter doesn't mince words. He says, wake up, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, is roaming like a roaring lion and seeks to devour you. Sometimes all he has to do is set a trap of our own passions, and we'll walk right into his jowls. Can I tell you two ways not to get eaten by your own passions? Let's do that. Two applications two ways not to be eaten by our own appetites. The first one is to make a decision. I mean, you just, there's got to be a point in time where you say, that's it, we're done. I'm breaking up with oatmeal raisins. I'm not doing this anymore. It keeps winning, I keep losing. And the the Bible calls it mortification of of the flesh, mortification, death of the flesh. Look how Paul writes it in Romans. If you're living according to the flesh, you must die, just like that. But if but if the spirit, but if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's a lot of death in that passage. Kill or be killed is what Paul just said. Kill or be killed. Mortification means you gotta kill those appetites and then keep killing them. Because the second part of living outside you're conquering the appetites that are trying to destroy you is to make the decision again, remake the decision again and again and again. Because this mortification of the flesh is like, uh, you know, like those zombie movies. I don't know, I don't watch those movies. But, you know, where they shoot the, the thing, the bad person, like it's Jason or whatever the guy's name is. And then it's like, it's done. We can end this movie. And then it just pops back up when no one's looking. That's the appetites of the flesh. You shoot it, you kill it, make that decision, and then you just keep making the decision. Might I add, will you kick this thing while it's down? Because sin can make you crazy. It'll, make your, it'll harden your heart. Uh, You've got to make a decision. I mean, this passage is interesting. You, gotta, you have to choose. Something's going to die here. <laughs> if you choose not to choose or you remain passive, your appetites, your passions, your anger, your lusts, whatever it might be, it says you will die. Get in the cab with Samson. See where that leads. Or it says, you will by the Spirit constantly be putting to death the passions of the flesh. And you cannot do this alone. Remember the Hebrews passage? Let's look more closely at the Hebrews passage. But exhort one another every day. But exhort one another every day, as long as this is called today, because for for none of you may be, I'm sorry, that so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How do you keep from the deceitfulness of sin crouching over you? You look for someone, that look what it says, to exhort one another every day. So we, we work together. We find people that can help exhort us so that we don't get hardened by the sin that we're so attracted to. Because one man's chocolate chip is another man's oatmeal. I can help you in that area and you can help me in my area. And that's why... That's why we do, like, get involved here. And one of the reasons we meet is to find someone to exhort us. And if you, like, really get trapped in something, we have a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. It's glorious. It's for people that are trapped in a hurt hang-up or habit, and they need, like, special judo skills to be able to get out of those, and they work together that way. But it's mostly people coming together to exhort each other. That's how you do it. You make a decision, you keep making decisions. Let me tell you how the story ends. It's a morning of life. He's eating from a dead carcass. He's drinking all the wine he can get his hands on. And now, right, all of God's plans for him are just laying on the floor. And the first thing that the Philistines do after he becomes like every man, every other man, is they gouge his eyes out. I don't want you gazing at our Philistine women anymore. He like... The, the, the little son is now living in complete darkness, and, and he was blind to his weakness, and now he's literally blind. He wasn't good much for God, and now he's almost good for nothing. He's party entertainment for the Philistines during a worship service to their God. Look what it says in chapter 16. Now the Lord now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and rejoice. This breaks my soul here. And then he says, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. And they said, our God has given us the enemy of our, into our hands, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, hey, call Samson in here. he'd entertain us. And then Samson came out of the prison, and he entertained him. From judge to jester, didn't know God, didn't know himself. I'll just keep reading. And Samson called upon the Lord and said, oh, Lord God, please remember me, and please give me strength. Just this one last time, O oh God, that I might avenge the Philistines for my eyes. For his eyes, not for God's glory. And so Samson grabbed the two middle pillars of the house that he had rested in and he leaned against them, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other. Here's You can read it for yourself. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all of his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. And so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those who he killed during his life. You wanted to be like a Philistine? Eh, you can die like a Philistine. Thy will be done, Samson. And guess what? Thy will be done, God. God is sovereign. He was out to destroy the Philistines, and he did it with or without Samson's commitment to the holiness of God and his Nazarite vow. So, the last application. It's the beginning of a new year for many people. It's our calendar in our head. How about we just start over? How about today be the first day of the rest of your life? How about we take a Nazarite vow? Because Samson's not just a biography about a man. Samson is a biography about all mankind. Oh, mirror of our fickle soul, state. Take a vow. Of holiness, make a decision, and then keep making that decision. You could you could follow the Nazarite outline, right? Stay away from all things unclean. Anything that's unclean, it's not righteous and good and noble. Just stay away from it, right? Away from to dedicate yourself to the Lord and His holiness. Maybe literally strong drink. Whatever, insert your oatmeal raisin cookie there. I will, uh, I will separate myself from that. I mean, You might even, not even get a haircut. I'm not going to cut my hair for six weeks. I'm in so much trouble for this one. So like something, maybe some kind of symbol that says, I'm making a vow. I'm going to do this until it becomes a habit. I want you to seriously think about coming back next week. We're going to start the book of James. And James is a book. It'll teach us about how to know God and how to know ourselves. Literally defines what a true faith is, and we can, we can become a church of Nazarites. Because Solomon's story, like in drama, is called a tragedy because it didn't have to it didn't have to be, any one of those any one of those storylines. He could have stopped and changed his tra- trajectory. And I'm asking you, hey, you want to start over? You want to start anew? or make a vow, make a decision, and keep making that? Let's make a decision to be holy. Let's start it with a prayer. Will you join me in that prayer? Lord, I would, I would ask that uh, your spirit would speak to ours and that we would hear your convictions about Places that we played where we should have never been. Why are we in Gaza in the first place? The Valley of Sorek. And I wonder. And we want, we stop and we wonder why do I keep failing? Because sin makes you crazy. Lord, I now I see that, and I say, Lord, I'd ask that you would help me abstain and separate myself from the things that are not holy and that destroy me, not for my sake, but for your glory. I'd ask that we would separate ourselves for your holiness. That we'd be distinct away from the sludge of the culture and enjoy the presence of your spirit in our lives. You might give us power. Lord, I'd ask that you'd make us a church of Nazarites. A church filled with people that enjoy the holiness of who we were meant to be for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.